grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you ever had this experience where you're going along happy as a lark, enjoying the day, and then someone rains on your parade with a cold dose of reality? This happened to me. I'll share a little example. One time I was coming home from Africa. We used to be missionaries there, my wife and I. And, you know, sometimes you just like to relate some of your trials and that you've gone through for a little sympathy. And I was doing that to a no-nonsense kind of woman. And she told me, yeah, but isn't it much worse for the people that live there? Well, yes, it is. And uh, that was a cold dose of reality that sort of rained on my parade. But if that was a little one, and I've conveyed that idea to you, and you've thought of maybe a time that it happened to you, imagine what it would have been like for the disciples, as Jesus told them those words that we read just a few moments ago, not one of these stones will be left. Imagine what it would have been like. I'm sure it was a very cold dose of hard reality. They were justifiably proud of the temple. The temple wasn't just some beautiful building. Oh yes, it was that, but it was far more than that. The temple was the center of their religious life. It was also the commercial center. It's where all the markets happen. Remember, Jesus turned over the tables in the temple. And it was also their political aspirations. So we have religious, economic, and political all wrapped up into one building. And Jesus tells them, guess what? It's all going to go away. That couldn't have gone over very well. They wouldn't have liked that. Actually, we get a picture of the very sadness of the temple being destroyed in the Old Testament, because, you know, this didn't happen just once. This is, after all, the second temple. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 10, verses 18 and 19, it says, the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. While I watched, the cherubim spread their wings and rose from the ground, and as they went, the wheels went with them. They stopped at the entrance to the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. So the very presence of God that the people were relying on in the temple left. That would have been a bad day. A cold, hard dose of reality. And that temple was destroyed, and of course, this one would be destroyed. This temple also, these words of Jesus, came true, literally true, in 70 AD. This temple was destroyed by the Romans. And, uh, of course, these readings do point us to the end times. That's what we've been talking, or uh, all these scriptures together, Daniel and this one to point us to the final day, the eschaton, when Jesus returns. But this is primarily... This text is primarily about this destruction of the temple and the destruction of the city along with it. That's really what it's about. That should give us all pause, a sort of a realistic pause, when we think about our plans, what we are constructing in our lives, all the things we're spending all of our energy on that are keeping us awake at night. Will they last a long time? Will they last eternally? The word of God tells us in Isaiah chapter 40 that all flesh 
is grass, and its glory is the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So all these things that we're working hard on, we're staying up late at night worrying about, well, they're not going to probably last to our grandchildren's generation, much less eternally. That sounds like rather bad news. It's uh, not very comforting. It's not very encouraging. But it is a reminder of reality. This is reality. We are mortal. We like to think that we aren't, but we are. We have a finite end. All flesh is grass and its glory as the flower of grass. And that's a realism, too, that the Lord wants us to share with people. Why? Because it forces us to have a confrontation with that reality and understand that we do come to an end. What about afterward? And that's where Jesus' promises really do have an impact even today. That he who endures to the end will be saved. Salvation is through him. It's interesting that the temple was the place, the locus of God's presence. And now there's a new temple. Jesus even said that about himself. He is the temple. You'll tear this one down, and three days later, I will raise it up. And he did just that. And his presence doesn't stay in a fixed location. It goes out to all the world. And that's why he says here that the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Because that's a part of being in his temple. It's calling people to faith in him. Calling people to recognize that they are mortal. Which sounds depressing. Even if it is real, it's true. But it also recognizes that there is one who saves us from our mortality. Gives us the medicine of immortality. The gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. I was having a little hard time, actually, with this text to uh, relate it to our mission work, you see, uh, because it doesn't seem like uh, the destruction of Jerusalem and enduring to the end has a whole lot to do with serving the Navajo people. And yet it does. It absolutely does, because this presence that the Lord has given each and every one of us, this new temple, of the Lord, which is the presence of Christ in our own bodies, he asks us to take out to the whole world. And of course, including in the whole world is everyone, including the Navajo Nation. I don't know how many experiences you've had with Navajo people, but some people would rather just kind of leave those nations to the side. Let's go to a more fertile ground because, let's face it, there have been missionaries that have been serving among them Native Americans for many hundreds of years, and yet still there's not a huge proportion of them who have become Christian. That doesn't matter, though. What matters is that the Lord loves them, and that even if there is resistance, he still wants them to be saved. He still wants them to hear the message of his salvation. And so, the gospel must be preached is an invitation to us to remember that God, God's presence, his promises that we have enjoyed are for all people. They're not just for us. They're for everyone. Now, 
it's very good for us also to place ourselves as disciples. You see, sometimes when we read these texts, we think of ourselves as Jesus. No, 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 don't do that. We're not Jesus. We're the disciples. And what happened to the disciples after this destruction in 70 AD? Well, they endured a lot. As we heard in the children's sermon, life is hard. And it was hard for them too. But they endured to the end. And they were saved. A weak band of 12 uneducated men announced the gospel to the world. And it caught on fire all over, starting at Jerusalem, going out to Samaria and the ends of the earth. Now, I think, though, sometimes when we read this passage, we think that we have to be the ones to usher in the end of the world. Because it says the gospel must be preached. And so it sounds like we've got to preach the gospel and then the end will come. But work on that thought for a minute. Reflect for a moment who would be in charge if that were the case. If we actually preach the gospel, then we would usher in the end of the world, and we're not in charge of that. The Lord tells us that it will come like a thief in the night. and The day and the hour is not known to any of us. So, it isn't that we're supposed to forget about telling the gospel. It's just that we don't have to give ourselves either the burden of ushering in the end of the world or the responsibility of making it happen. It's in the Lord's hands. All of this even is in the Lord's hands. You know, there's all these words about persecution here as well. All in the Lord's hands. If you're handed over, that's not anything you have sought out. It's not anything you tried to get. It just happened to you. And the words that are given to you, notice you don't manufacture them. You don't come up with them. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives you the words to speak. So this should give us great comfort as well. The end is in the Lord's hands. Whenever we face trials, that's in the Lord's hands. And how we get through it is in the Lord's hands. So this word, in fact, is a promise that he, who's, he who endures to the end will be saved because the Lord is the one who is making us endure. That's how it's a promise to us. So what are we to be about in the, main, the meantime? The Lord could tarry. We really don't know as we just established, right? <laughs> the end is coming like a thief in the night. We really don't know what we, how much longer we will remain. But what are we to be about in the meantime? Well, we're to be about love. That is the mission of Christ, right? When we talk about the gospel going forth, we don't talk about arguing people into the kingdom of God. It's never worked. It is the love of God that turns people to him. And this is often practiced in our very close relationships like our families and our neighbors, but also at our workplaces, in our vocations. It is the love of God that turns people to him. Grace and truth. That's what Jesus was full of. And that's what we as his disciples are to be full of. That love was demonstrated by our Lord through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. That love is what gathers us all here together today. But that love is also what sends us out 
to a world in need. May that love fill your heart today because of the Lord's word in your hearing. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep and guard your minds and hearts until the day of our Lord's return. Amen. I invite you all to stand as we confess our common faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed.